It's a rare condition. It's called AIDS. When Maggie Johnson got it, we all thought he was gay. If there is a cure, it'd be from God's design. Some people say it's even harder to find. Well, then there must be some magic cure inside those deep state walls. Cause all I see are medical fees. My whole family's victim to HIV. We relive horrible times, but make hilarious memories. We're consciously monetizing our traumas and our friendship. We also talk about smart guy stuff sometimes. We know the show's got a stupid name. Welcome to Always Very Always. I wanted to do since it's been the first episode since uh since the play happened. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. We gotta we gotta recap the play. We gotta talk about different themes and particularly your scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna talk about uh Patrice O'Neill thought through Hegel. Okay. I wanted to talk about masculinity and I wanna talk about the some of the I had another thesis talk talking about we could keep You wanna for, do this on the second episode? We're, the second episode is now. Second okay. episode is now. All right. Um so everyone out there we first were, i want to shout you out uh, a joke you made uh in reference to the scene where they fall over and over again <laughs> yeah you were like it's like the comedic rule of 11 we got a comedic rule of 11 so, <laughs> so i went back and read in the script to see how many times they fall it's literally 13 nice so it's the comedic rule of 13 not 11 you were close though you were close though uh, but yeah we just recorded the patreon episode it's called it's called ratemyfetish.org and uh, you could really go enjoy that one. There's a lot of stuff. There's inward stuff. That's my fetish. Anyways, it's a very. Interesting well, we didn't even talk on. We didn't even like speak on that. All right. right, just to just to give them a little taste of the Patreon episode. Bro. Okay, give us your quick, very very, cut and dry opinion. Uh, black fellas out here having a white girlfriends call them the N word in the bedroom. Thoughts? That's extremely gay. That's extremely gay. Like why? See, my whole thing with, like, uh, when people say, that's just fucking stupid. But when people are like, my black son ain't dating no fucking white woman. I ain't never dating a white woman. None of that. Black people should stay with black. What I don't get is, even if you are that type of, like, shithead racist, keep it in the family fucking black guy. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't you have that, you go, your black son goes to college, let him date one or two white women just for conquest purposes. Get one back just to catch on. a dub, you know what I'm just saying? To, don't don't you view it as getting back at them? It's like, no, we're at this point, we're staying like this. We're like, we're gonna be like Elder Scrolls orcs. We have Orsinium and we're just gonna live in this hollow hut until fucking the end times. No, <laughs> go out there, do your thing, you can still win. There's many dubs to catch out here. You know what I'm saying? Not, not, nothing a white man hate more than a a, a, a nice little light skinned girl with blue eyes, bro. Nothing he hates more to see. That's literally what I fantasize about. That's the only reason I want to go to LSU. Wow. <laughs> There's nothing else there besides white women to conquer. Wow. So when when uh fucking I was sad to see. I'm not gonna lie, bro. You might have to redact this whole part of the podcast because you know, I don't care. I'm too real. You can't handle it. You can't handle it. You're weak. You're weak. You're weak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You said it. 
Um, but I was sort of disappointed right. when I saw like Donovan's first girlfriend at LSU was. I mean, she was pretty. She was probably nice, but I, like I want him just to run through white women. Oh, his first girlfriend was a black chick. Yeah, I mean, I, she was probably a nice, perfectly fine woman. I had nothing against her, mm-hmm. but you know, Donovan has that archetype: just six foot four, <laughs> just strong as fuck, just running through. Yeah. I could have walked on, been a wide receiver, oddly. From what I, from what I've heard of the stories about that, bro, it usually gets sprung on you, like you don't know, right? So, like, just imagine you've been dating the girl for a few months, oh, right? The, the 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 inverse is also true. White women also the black, like this is not this is symbiotic. What do you mean? They they catching a dub on us? You think? Not. It's not on a race. You're getting a dub on racist. You're getting mm-hmm. a dub on their white fathers. They're getting a dub. On both on their white fathers and black people, but more we we have the common enemy, which is overbearing <laughs> racist white parents. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. What I was gonna say is a lot of times from like stories I've seen. I remember for instance, a story I saw on YouTube about a guy who dated a, a racist. It's like you'll they'll date him and it'll be normal the whole time. They'll have like a past history of dating black guys. She's like, it's cool. Maybe she just like you know black guys are cool. I could see why she might like. I'm a, I'm a black guy, right? And so, and the next thing he's like, next thing you know, like they're, um, they're having sex for the first time or whatever. And she's like, yeah, give me that, give me that blink cock or whatever. <laughs> what? You know what I'm saying? And then it's like you're just like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, in a moment when you're literally inside of a person, they say that like. He's like, he's like everybody in the comment section could tell me what they would do, but they don't really know. <laughs> he's like, you know, next thing you know, I'm I'm talking about master daughter. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> sick, sick, right? See, I wasn't talking about the individuals being racist. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we've had and then it's over, and they go back to being their normal selves. Yeah, because I was hearing a story. The reason I was thinking about, it, I was hearing a story about like the type of woman who's like conservative Republican dickhead uh, husband goes to work. She's a Republican housewife. Mm-hmm. Sometimes from time to time she gets a younger, let's say buck style character to come through and do some Trillville style <laughs> Trillville. <laughs> Trillville style action to her. Trillville? <laughs> Trillville? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I just thought that was like that just got, made me go down a rabbit hole. But we're not going to talk about that right at this instant anymore because I want to recap the play. And then from there, we can go back into talking that sort of thing. No so doubt. your play was called Almost Main. And can you give us like a, a brief summary of like what the overarching story and theme were before you break down every scene? Um, damn, I wish I would have brought my script. But um, so the, the, the big idea is that there are characters in eight or nine different vignettes falling in and out of love and the play like love is supposed to surprise you it's subversive it has its twist it has its rough moments and it has its 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 touchy moments and the playwright specifically did say that he meant for it to be romantic not sentimental so you can enjoy the moment or bask in it but no, no moment in the play no feeling no no perception of love is ever supposed to really last forever in the context of the play it's only what it is for that moment. And then the next one comes. I see. So, uh, I remember... So, y'all held this at uh, Delgado Community College here in New Orleans. And I was surprised when I got there to see, like... I, I guess this is to be expected, but everyone was, like, older. Like, way older. I was, like, the only person. Yeah. You went to the opening night showing, correct? Yes. And that's a big reason why. A lot of, a lot of parents 
Okay. Did the later showings have more younger people? Yeah, most definitely. That's how. That's a typical trend in a theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um the first show is like a lot of parents, grandparents, you know, stuff like that. There's people that got that time on a, on a Wednesday night to pull up and hang out, you know. Yeah. What's like, that make a, a Wednesday night? A Wednesday night show. That's not, doesn't that sound like a nice old folks? Yeah, I think a girl, an older woman, literally was like, girls night out. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> Just a 60-year-old woman trying to see her granddaughter in a play, I guess. Uh-huh. While her girls and stuff. Not, couldn't, couldn't really get fucked up. No alcohol. There yeah, was, wine. Come on, that's not alcohol. That's old lady alcohol. <laughs> you see what I mean? I'm trying to, we're trying to get messed up. We're trying to, we're trying to make this turn into a football game. I'm trying to do like the, the Greek amphitheater where they were cheering Bro, and I, stuff. We used to joke about that so much there. So what me and one of my castmates were like, man, we need to have a show where we just fucking just, this full send it. Just like, just, just make it completely ridiculous, over the top, absurd. Everybody's in the crowd just being like, Whoa! All that kind of foolishness, you know what I'm saying? I would love to be in a show like that. It's funny how I like, mean that's what Greece was. You remember yeah. Greece, bro? And that was a good time. It's funny that uh I'm talking even to a more wild extent because I forgot that you meant Greece the civilization, the ancient we had to play Greece. Uh but I it's funny how like blacks got the reputation of being loud in movie theaters. Uh and like it's not the same type of racist who says this. But it's a, it's a different type of Twitter racist where, like, they worship, like, the birth of Western civilization and white culture and all this and Greece and Rome and all this. And, like, Greece was the most it was the worst stereotype of a black theater. Everyone's talking. They're reacting to every line. They're like, that's my fucking guy. It's like, what the fuck? The guy gets his head chopped off and they all start screaming at the top of their lungs. Holy shit. Yeah. All like- that stuff. Whatever their language, you know, in Greek, obviously. But, uh. That it was like the way there was not it's not so much call and response, but it's like it's like a wrestling match. There were like wrestling fans at a wrestling match instead of guys silently and sometimes laughing at lines in the play. Mm-hmm. They got into it, and that's what art's supposed to be. Get into that shit. Yeah, I'm rooting for my guy to do well. Anyways, so it opened up. I get in there, and I'm sitting all the way in the back. I see your mom. I see your grandmama come in, and I was like, nice. Um, I was trying to avoid talking to him because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach your mom. I don't even know your mom's name. <laughs> so I don't even know. It's a, hi, I'm your son's friend. And she would be like, oh, hi, Mark, because she would know you because, you know, she can't really miss you. And I know her name. I know her She her last name isn't your last name. It is. It is? Oh, okay. Yeah, she kept she kept our last name. I, I didn't want to disrespect her. You just, yeah, yeah. So you know, I see what you mean. You didn't know her name was. You didn't want to pull up with the hey, Miss Banks because it is like, Oh no! Uh, his father and I are actually divorced, and now you're you just already like in the hole to start the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can get buffs, um, because I, you know, but so she definitely knows who you are. Her name's Anne. All right, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could you definitely could have just been like, I mean, this is probably just like a social anxiety moment for you, but uh, just for future hundred percent don't have social anxiety. Oh well, why didn't you just walk up and say, "Hey, uh, you're Dante's mother, right?" It's that simple. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like when people approach me. I assume that people, other people hate it even more. I mean, that's a fair point then. So I ain't mad at you. Uh, but yeah, opening scene, I was, we was waiting. And it was like the prologue with these two characters called Jeanette and Pete. And they're sliding far on stage right on a bench. Mm-hmm. And have the snowy background projected or something. And uh, it was it was like, oh, man. 
rough. <laughs> <laughs> it was like there was a lot of line. There was a lot of uh, dead dead air, I guess you could say. Yeah. So and that was like it was meant to be awkward or whatever. But they did it. They overdid it with the, the um, pauses and everything. Maybe they overdid it. Maybe they did a perfect job with it because it was supposed to be awkward. But we're thinking- and the thing is too, our director tells us. The way he the way he did this, our director was super hands off, bro. So if somebody wanted to go up there and, and do something, it was gonna it was gonna happen. You know what I'm saying, bro? So it's like if they felt like, because uh, it was real. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it's not that's another thing about theater as opposed to like a movie. It's not supposed to look like the action and the pace and all that. That shit's not supposed to apply to play. You're just watching the stuff happen. So all that was supposed to be was a realistic representation of what it's like talking to somebody and them telling you they love you for the first time. Yeah. Do you think that's how I read? Yes. And if I it's just, honest, if it's real. I understood. Feel, I felt like since there's a lot of parents, they're not artsy farty type. They're people with mamas and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like you first thing you see is that it's like, oh my God, this is gonna be mids at best. <laughs> Oregano at best. Ooh. And I was like, I was like, I can't wait to get them on the podcast or tear this shit apart. Ooh. <laughs> I was I wasn't rooting against you. I was really tear everyone else apart because I didn't know you could act. But so that was the first scene. And it was like uh, you know But it was rough. It was hard to watch almost. It was hard to watch, but it was good. It was like one of the few things where like your reaction to it and it's like a quality. horror movie, but it's a rom com. Yeah. I guess. Ooh. So second scene was called Her Heart with two uh, characters called Glory and East. And I like this because I, I told you this before because uh-huh. East, he looks like the comedian Patrick Doran. Yeah, so I, I, I walked up to him after you told me. I told him, I was like, yeah, when I first tell him you look like a comedian, he's like, Patrick Doran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He's like, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, bro. I remember that. Wow. So, yeah, I, I enjoy seeing Patrick. So, basically, you were right on target with that to the point where I brought it up to him. He's like, this again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh-huh. It, yeah. So, you want to summarize this scene? Because uh, you have more experience with seeing it more than I do. Yeah, I was, I was actually in that scene also to begin with. So, I pretty much understood the, the whole point of it. Basically, um, she has an artificial heart because her original heart broke when her husband uh, cheated on her mm-hmm. her husband cheated on her and then when she decided to um she had to go to the hospital when her heart broke when he cheated on her because that's nothing about this play there's a lot of surreal elements right mm-hmm. so since her heart breaks she got to go to the fucking hospital that moment right that he he cheated on her she found out and so he's she's he shows up at the hospital like please take me back i'm sorry this that and other and he's like no i can't take you. he's like i can't take you back the heart that used to love you i don't have it anymore is broken all, all I got now is this artificial heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, the husband, and, and he's this draw. He runs into the street. He gets hit by a bus. He fucking dies, right? Get so fucked. She, yeah. So she is in Maine to see the Northern Lights. Because it's actual. It's actually true what the character said. That the Northern Lights are said to be the spirits of people going to the afterlife or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you see them, you can see people like go away to the, for their final goodbyes or whatever so she yeah. went to go say goodbye to him pass his pass his spirit on to the next world because she felt somewhat somehow culpable for him having died and while she's out there she's actually standing in this guy's backyard looking at the lurks and she's pissed the tent you know she just some random woman just out there so he walks out of his house he's basically like what the fuck is she doing here you know what i mean mm-hmm. but he can't help but wonder what is she doing here you know he's a bit smitten by it mm-hmm. so he comes out they have their exchange 
and everything. And after he finds out that she has an artificial heart and her real heart is literally like pieces of slate in a paper bag, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's like shaking. He's like, well, it's great for roofing because, you know, he's a repairman. He fixes things. And eventually, you know, they have their back and forth. He is love at first sight for him. And he tries to repair her heart. And that's mm -hmm. how the scene ends. Basically, it's like he snatched the heart back and forth from him. And there's been this like give and take with it. There's levity in that. And then eventually he gets the heart back from her. He's like, she's like, give me my heart. He's like, no, it's broken. What are you going to do with this? She's like, but it's mine. He's like, but it's broken. And I can fix it. I'm a repairman. My guy puts the heart on the porch and starts banging it out with the sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. And then they walk back inside his house. It's like a nice happy ending. You know? Nice. So Also, his name is East. Her husband's name was Wes. Because uh, this this playwright, uh, See, something else. Well, I didn't get. I thought she, the lady who had the broken heart was making this up on the fly. Like mm -hmm. she was like she was making up lies to just to like uh, just to keep keep the deeper questions from coming in or something like as a defense mechanism. Mm. Is like, that's a possible read of it, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like I was sort of confused because it seemed like wait a second. Am I? Am, is she lying, or is this just a bunch of weird symbolism? I'm not. I'm not really a symbolic type guy. So when she said this, is this, heart, this is the first play. This is the first scene you see that has that element to it of surrealism, right? Yeah. So when you first see it, you're not gonna immediately think that that's her actual fucking heart. Yeah, but that's very like basic third grader surrealism. Yeah. My heart is this bag of broken stuff. Yeah. And uh, the playwright deliberately another reason it's called almost. It's because he wanted to almost be bad. So he wanted you to like to see a scene and the whole time you have this impression of it. You're like, yeah, this is. <laughs> Could call it almost mids. Yeah, <laughs> this is some fucking foolishness. And then eventually like you see the heart of the scene. You know what I mean? Like there is actually is a depth and a a, a, a real tragedy and a, and, a, and a beauty to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. With how, you know, he tries to take her heart away. She don't want him to take it. And, you know, he's trying to fix her heart. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, straightforward, that one, but that's because it's got to set the table, I feel like. Yeah, it was pretty good, and had the added Patrick modifier. Yeah. The third scene was called Sad and Glad. Three. This was at the bar, mm -hmm. Jimmy, Sadrine, and the waitress. Yeah. You don't have to go line by line with this, but I, I, I remember this pretty well, that the two people sat at the bar, and the guy was like, she was really, he was really trying to get back at this girl that he liked for a very long time, mm -hmm. and hasn't talked to her for such a long time. And realize that now she's at this bar because it's like her bachelorette party or something. Exactly. Uh, so it's like, oh, you too late. And now the girl's in an awkward situation because you have this guy that loves her at this at her bachelorette bachelorette party or whatever. She about to get turned out by a couple of couple of red districts finest, the red light district finest, and this fucking loser from high school trying to hit her up, hit him up again. Yeah. Um, so th there's two perspectives on it. Um, one is that they had like a one night stand and one is that they had been dating for a while and then she ghosted him because after she realized that Jimmy's like kind of a fucking loser. See, I, I, where I read it is that he's such a fucking loser. They had nothing. They never did anything with each other ever. Well, no, because they talk about, um, how Jimmy has a line where he says, um, I haven't seen you in months and months and months and months and months. Not since that night when I woke up and you were just gone. You see what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's that's more symbolism because I didn't I didn't hear that. I guess yeah, it's, it's a verbatim line, and uh, that's why like the projection as an actor and all that is very important. Like, 
if you don't, there's things you might miss if you don't hear one particular line, and then it's like the whole context of the scene is flipped on its head. <laughs> yeah, saying. after a certain point, and I guess it was. But pretty... they were together at a certain point. Yeah, and she does like him because there's there's another line where she goes at where he's at um, he's like um, where you're supposed to see the brighter side to Jimmy because Jimmy is a bit of a fuck up, right? Yeah. But the bright a line where you're supposed to see the brighter side to him is when he's like, uh, "I'm glad you got found." Um, he's quite a guy. And, and you are too, a person, a woman. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Jimmy. Because she's supposed to be smitten by how, like, how even though it's really dumb and, like, hardly a good go at, like, being sentimental, mm-hmm. she still, like, appreciates that from him. Can you talk about that tattoo our boy Jimmy had? <laughs> our, boy, our boy Jimmy, uh, a- after what went down with Sandrine, she didn't give a fuck really. She was like on with her life, got married not too long after that. Mm-hmm. But he was really down bad for her, you know? And he drove her away with his bad behavior. We don't know what it is particularly, but we can probably assume it's like standard creep shit you know, that he was up to that made her leave. And uh, he calls himself a villain as a result. And you know, what he did is it's criminal. It's just plain villainy. So he branded himself a villain. He got a tattoo that says villain. But they wrote it wrong on him. He wrote it wrong. They wrote it wrong. You know, ha, 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 ha. And uh, it says Villian. B-I-L-L-I-A-N. Very classic misspelling. Very, very good joke, I feel like. The, the, yeah. the Villian one. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, basically, she, she finds out that he has this tattoo of Villian. She's like, why would you get a tattoo that says Villian? Or when she first looks at it, she's like, who's Villian? Because she's still like kind of jealous in a way. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you got some other bitch names added on your arm already. Or whatever. Like That's the angle she takes at first. And then she's like, she's like, why would you even want to get a tattoo that says Villain? And that's why he, that's when he starts telling her, yeah, because I, I ran you away, this, that, and the other. And um, she's like, you know, you can get that removed. And she leaves. She goes back to go yeah. to her bachelorette party. And then as she leaves, and my boy Jimmy is sitting at the fucking stool with his three beers, you know, on drink free if you're sad night, mm-hmm. the waitress walks in to remind him. And uh, as she's walking away, she's like, well, if you need me, just call my name. Just ask for Villian. And every, I, I can remember to this day from backstage, we know when that line is said, bro, because he just asked for Villian. <laughs> Literally one of the most laughed at jokes in the whole fucking play, bro. Some stupid little <laughs> the way she's saying, but that's what the whole scene is building towards. You know, see what I mean? to me, a villain, a girl named Villian would be like a like a five ten or beyond like goth chick. I think so just, too. Just stacked, yeah, to high heaven goth yeah. chick. You got to work with what you got. It also, I mean, um, of course, I mean that's not her. I'm not saying anything about her. Yeah, and also, and also, also, they're, they're that's a like a that's a thing where that role. It's funny that you have to nail that part, even though you only got like three lines. Because like the way that she comes on stage and carries herself and everything, it really makes it to where it really determines whether how funny that's going to be. You know what I mean? So, I think that's a cool little part being a waitress. I think uh, if you if you know the wrestler Rhea Ripley, I think her name she she's a when I think of villain, I think of just like an extremely just tall, muscular, <laughs> just. <laughs> Just ask for Villian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that, dude. Uh, yeah. So we get to This Hurts, and I forget what this one is. But you can go through this one pretty fast, because I'm trying to get to your scene. This Hurts is the one with the ironing board. Oh, this yes. This was the good... Okay, we got to spend time on this, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes, actually. Yeah. 
Well, the guy, uh, the guy has congenital analgesia or congenital insensitivity to pain, as some people call it. Basically, he can't feel pain since birth, and he's an orphan. Him and his brother have been living together at uh, my Dudley's. It's a place where it's like for people who are just down on their luck. A what? Or, my what? My Dudley's. It's like an orphanage or like oh a, okay, like a community living type situation. All right, all right. And the two characters in this, the boy, the guy is named Steve, yep, Steve. and the girl is named Morv Marvelin. Marv like marvelous, Marvelin. It's spelled like a like a, a Elder Scrolls vampire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mar Marvelin. And basically, Steve cannot feel pain. Marvelin is in an abusive relationship. It's not necessarily explicitly stated whether it's physical or emotional, but it is certainly at least emotionally abusive or, mm -hmm. you know, stifling at the very least. Is it possible for someone to be physically abusive and not emotionally abusive? Yes. How so? No, no. Yeah, no, 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 that's not possible. But the other way around is for okay. it to be emotionally but not physically. See, that's what I fantasize about. It's just being physically brutalized, but I like it. Anyways, let's go. Anyways. <laughs> but yes, that is possible. It'd be, you just, it's just consent. There you go. Yeah. Y'all can work that well, out. Well, not consent. I like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking about why that's a a, 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 ne a never fantasy. But you it's know. like, you know, you like we were talking about the guy, the guy says, man, you got really nice feet. Oh, you got really nice tits. <laughs> you got really nice, like, slapping heads. You got really monstrous. Say, you got some nice pronounced knuckles. You got nice. You got a nice cat of nine tails hanging up on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> you got a nice little outlet to put this electrified um, Iron Maiden on your basement. <laughs> oh, my Lord, dude. But yeah, she's basically she. Um, yeah, there's a few lines where um, Steve is like, because Steve is also like clearly like mildly autistic with the yeah. way he like um, socializes and everything. Mm -hmm. And so like for instance, he's like, uh, he's like, y'all are loud, y'all yell and bang. We can hear you, you know, like talking about them upstairs, you know. So they if they're yelling in an argument or if you know, he's she's getting banged on. We don't know, but that's that's like an illusion that is made. And, uh, you know, so there's like a, a sort of kindredness to them because, you know, he does not feel pain and she is um, numb to the pain that she is receiving from life, you know. And then eventually, after like talking to him about, uh, you know, how he has this book, he has this book full of things that uh, things that can hurt you, the things to be afraid of. And he doesn't have ironing boards written on his list. So mm -hmm. naturally, they can't hurt you. So he's like, see, if I hit you with this iron board, since it's not on my list, it won't hurt you. It just fucking wallops her with the iron yeah. board. So you got to like some quality slapstick comedy. I feel like they did a really good job staging all of that and mm -hmm. everything. It was a lot of like, uh, you know, the wrestling steel chair type stuff. Yeah, the concerto where you hit the, you got the guy's like head on top of a chair and you're slamming the chair from above, but you're hitting the other chair without hitting his head. Mm -hmm. But it looks brutal. Yeah, yeah. You know? Little behind the scenes fact for you on the last run of the show on Sunday, she actually hit him with the fucking iron board. Nice. And like, oh, we're going backstage, we see we're like, ooh, mm -hmm. damn, he actually got <laughs> clocked that time. But my guy didn't break character, bro. He just fucking <laughs> 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 he just got slept by the iron board and then just got up and went back to the scene, you know? Because at that point, he was in character, you know? I mean, how much Maybe could that hurt? hurt? Getting hit by an ironing board? Yeah, that's not that can't be that painful. I mean, like flat on the back iron board. No, he got hit in the head with it. Oh, that one. The one where she like spins around. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was good. I mean, he wasn't hurt or nothing like that. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was a good scene. Yeah, one of my favorite lines from that scene. He's like, 
Yeah, my Dudley's is a place where people can get their feet back on the ground. Uh, my brother Rob, he, he and I have been trying to get our feet back on the ground our whole lives, it seems like, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's autistic, so he doesn't quite get what he's saying with that, but it's like, I feel like it's pretty funny. Yeah, the people, um, wait, is that a double entendre or something? Mm-hmm. They've been trying to get their feet back on the ground their whole lives. That's all, all it means is like, uh, you know, he's like, yeah. They say uh, this place is for people trying to get their feedback on it. Like he's like, we've been in this same predicament my entire life. Is basically what he's yes, but he doesn't understand that that's the slogan. Like he's referring to the slogan as a noun. Yeah, and he doesn't know that a slogan actually means some a condition that you're in. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. And then you know, people in the crowd they really got that. Like, damn, Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of sad moments in that scene. Honestly, um, just that's why I, I like that one. But we go to your scene. The main event, the second main event, <laughs> second of two main events called uh, Getting It Back. Two characters, Gail and Lendo. Lendo played by one Dantes Banks. Yes, sir. Soon to be Dantes Banks CBE to be knighted by the queen for his <laughs> acting ability. Oh, Lord. But go ahead. Latest one on us. Give us all like uh, all, all the details, all the, all the structure of the thing. Okay, so they've been dating for 11 years. They're not quite married yet. Um, and they've discussed it in the past. Gail even has a line where she talks. She's talking to Lindo about, you know, remember the time I asked you if we were going to get married back in December? It was snowing. You know, that's where oh, we got to start off from from the benegging, as my sister would say. Oh, yeah, all right. So you want the scene from the top? I want you, not line for line, but we got, you know, you on. All right, I'll get the keys for you. Okay, yeah. So our, our guy, Lindo, is asleep in his chair. He's cozy as fuck. And he's just finished. He's watching a hockey game. He's a, he's a Bruins fan. And Boo. <laughs> he's a Boston Bruins fan. Sit on, sleep on the couch with his, his, his remote on his bed. And uh, there's a fight going on on the TV at the same moment that she starts knocking on his door. It's like really well-timed and really good idea by our director. On top of that, like you, like basically, you hear the like the hockey fight commentation as she starts banging on the door. Lindo, Lindo, she comes running into the door, and then you like hear like, oh goal, and then like as you, you hear goal, she turns the TV off, throws the remote at. He's like, Lindo, hey, I need to talk to you. Lindo's got no fucking clue what's going on. He just he just was uh, at the mill working, then went to sleep. So he gets up out of his seat. He's like, yeah, yeah, what's going on? You know, he's just like, whatever, what's up? And she's like, Lindo, I want it back. And at this point, the guy's completely confused. He's like, "Huh? What?" She's like, "He's like, I want all the love. I all the love I gave you. I want it back. Mm-hmm. I've got cherries in the car." And so at this point, he's he's like, really doesn't have any clue what's going on. But she's like dead set on this whole mission that she just came on. She talked herself up about this in the car, dude. Like, she already decided. You know what I mean? So basically, she walks. They have this little kerfuffle about his confusion and her what she's gonna do. She walks off stage, comes back. With these huge red bags full of love, it just like drops them in the middle of his living room, and, and he's like, "Wow, that's a lot." She's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go get the rest." And she walks on and off stage like two, three, four more times, and eventually just has this mountain of like red trash bags, almost like full of love or that you gave her, yeah, that I that that Lindo gave to her, mm-hmm. and she's returning it to him, and then she's like, "Okay, now I gave you all yours. I want mine back." Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, all the love I gave you, I want it back. Go get it. So he goes off stage. He goes and gets this tiny little bag, brings it back on stage. He's like, there you go. That's all the love you gave me. And she's not having it, bro. She doesn't like it at all. She's like, what do you mean? There's no way that's all the love I gave you. I mean, what kind of person am I? You know what I mean? 
And so they, they have their dispute over that. Um, basically, it's eventually revealed that um, she's feel like, she's felt like she's put so much into the relationship, even though it's not necessarily being shown in that moment with the bags. You know, her tiny bag, his numerous mini bags, as it says in the script. Mm-hmm. And and she's like, uh, I, all, all love I gave you, I want it back because I don't have any love for me left, and that's not good for a person. So I want it back in case I need it. I want to bring it with me. He's like, where are you going? She's like, I need to get away from things. And then this is when it finally begins to set in. Like She showed up at his house that night fully intending to just break up with him and never see him again. And that's when it becomes like a, a drastic scenario. And he's trying to like win her over, get her to understand how much he really does love her. Mm-hmm. And so he starts explaining to her how um, the, the little bag is not, it's not little because of, she only gave him a little bit of love. It's actually the ring that he bought her and he put all the love that she gave him into the ring because the ring is a lot bigger than it looks. When you have so much love, the only place you can put it is into the ring. So then he pulls the ring out the bag. He proposes. They kiss. It's very sweet. People love it. The end. See. And so with that, with my analysis is, is that immediately what I thought was is that this scene had to be written by the ghost of Patrice O'Neill. <laughs> because it's like it's, it shows you how. And honestly, Hey, I'm not a master of Hegel. I failed senior year college philosophy. I'll be that. I got yelled at over the internet about my Hegel paper. I'll be the first one to say, I don't know shit about fuck. <laughs> I don't know shit about fuck. But I feel like what what uh, what Patrice O'Neill's getting at and all his relationship is hours and hours of relationship. He could skip a lot of it by understanding the master-slave dialectic. By saying that a woman wants a master. But by the nature of his masterness is that there's always going to be this like this distance, this alienation that most women don't care about. But some women, especially modern women, they they don't like it because they think they want something that equal. What they really, really what everyone wants is to have that man who is a master and the woman is a slave, not in the exploitative sense, but in that (laughs) the woman's existence depends on that master and the man's existence can go either way mm-hmm. but to some extent the part of dialectic the master still needs to some extent the slave he's not completely independent he's bound by by having slaves mm. so in this case with this scene it's uh the woman is is getting all this love from the man and she so all the love that she gives to him it ends up she's getting that too. She's not getting just the direct love from Lindell, from Lindell or from yeah. Dantes. She's getting back her love in the form of the ring. Mm-hmm. So the woman is really by if she trusts in the man, she loves the man, she's gonna get everything back she invested. Literally. And, and everything that he has to begin I'm with. I'm glad you noticed that, Greg, because a lot of too many people notice at the end of the scene. I mean, the 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 playwright, he was specific in this. He even has she even has a line. When he hands her the ring. In the box, so she realizes, oh, this is all love you gave me. It's the ring I asked for. She turns and looks at this mountain of love. It's literally like almost as tall as she is on the stage, right? And she's like, "Can I keep all that?" And Lindo goes, "It's yours. Like I gave it to you. I don't. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that's gonna show up at your house and take all the love I gave you back. You see what I mean? Yes. It's yours. So then she's holding the ring, like you said. That's the all the love she gave him. She's holding that in her hand, and she still got all his fucking bags. What does Lindo have? He got hurt. He got hurt. He a got master, hurt. That's all he wanted. A master 
eventually is going to want the slave, but the slave is going to want. The I master. don't like this master slave because it's not referring to chattel <laughs> slavery. It's not returning to chattel slavery. It's it's referring to independence and thraldom on on any level, intellectual. It's not because it's not bound to material when Hegel mm-hmm. talks about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could call it call it something else, but that's everything in life comes down. Are you in complete control or are you enthralled them to something else? Nature or something? Fair you, enough. I, look, I'll permit it because it's fair enough, man. It's good stuff. Because it's good stuff, honestly. I don't hate I, on I, I think that a, a lot of women, your average woman, wants a man who is emotionally. Because when you talk about power and independence, you know, it's impossible to be truly independent in any economy. But what do you mean independent? Like, you don't need me to complete you. Mm. I'm an addition to you, I could be your queen. What the man wants, I am independent. I'm established. Time for me to get a queen, like someone to really be down with me. Mm. And what the reason why Patrice O'Neill is gets called like a sexist and misogynist is because there's so many. The way and he this this part's unsaid. Modern society cannot allow for people to become kings and queens. You just can't. You just can't. You you, you, you out can't here allow two functioning people to exist. Like there's not enough functioning people to for them to be independently minded, emotionally strong. They need so many people to like just to be okay. Like think of this stat. Like like forty percent or something like this of people in their twenties are like are experiencing extreme loneliness a lack of intimacy of lack of friends your average person our age has one and a quarter friend and on (laughs) average and on average they're spending less time than they did 10 years ago they're spending less than three hours a week with their friends of any sort less than three hours a week that's a dog shit nothing and more people become more and more isolated have less money they have less buying power they're less independent and they're more propagandized to, they're more brainwashed. They can never be emotionally independent. They cannot be a master of any aspect of their they're destiny. They're slaves to the system. They're a slave to someone else. They're not even a slave to, to their lover. Not 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 to a lover, not to a family, not to even a mom. Not, mo- not a boss or a manager. People, some life people don't even have father figures. You because they're also we're in a, a generational continuation, like uh replicating more and more slaves. Uh, people who are like not I'm not saying slave in like a capitalist proletarian sense mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying it's in a Marxist sense although it's true there we're making slaves in that and people that they could not arise to ever to ever be the man that can get the woman to add to their completeness they need somebody they need this basic friends basic girlfriends basic interactions to even feel the shadow of completeness of, of, of a humanity that just doesn't exist that much anymore. anymore. That they've been so deprived. So of. that's a really good point. And I just think that's like. All right, I'm I'm glad I heard you out on it. I, I agree. I agree. I'm with it. So I with a, viewing a woman as a slave, that's something that you know obviously you find contemptible or just wrong. But it goes both ways, I yeah. think, because it can never be one always has to be a master. One always going to have to be a slave because. Even if the even if it's a woman's the master, okay, the man's just a slave now. Like we're not debating, you're, we're not debating hierarchy. We're debating who's gets to be the one that you think is on top because they both need each other, anyways. Yeah, either way, um, either way, we need each other. So I just uh, I I I don't know. I felt like I had a pithyonic moment when I was listening to Patrice O'Neill the other day, and it's like, damn, this is not this is not some fucking love line radio guy love advice bullshit. Like he's talking yeah. about something that I think is actually. 
is actually real. He just doesn't like your average yeah. like street philosopher these days. They don't attach it to anything like like uh, Hegelianism or Marxism or any philo- philosophical bra- background. So they can't make it real to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But Pat I think Patrice O'Neill managed to do that in his work. I don't think he's he made it to make it real, but without even adding that, without reading though, mm-hmm. like whatever he knew it, but he, he knew, knew it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you remember when we had our Kevin Samuels retrospective? I feel like he was on target. See, the thing is, too. this is what I was thinking with Kevin Samuels. You have to be funny for this to stick. If you're not gonna have mm-hmm. the deep academic, I mean, I feel like, ma'am, you're average at best. It's kind of funny. I feel it's like funny if you're I on feel like side. going like you're on the other- in the middle of a discussion with somebody, type looking up Lawrence Taylor. And then highlighting his 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 weight with the with the fucking cursor as the and then saying how much do you weigh, ma'am? And then looking, then like I mean, I feel it, like that's kind of funny. I just feel like Kevin Samuels, like he's he's gonna be he's, the full extent to him being funny is going to you're only gonna get it if you're on his side. Mm-hmm. If you're neutral, maybe you kind of some of it funny. If you're all against him, it's not. Funny. You're, you're, it's not going to yeah, work. You're it's, right. not, it's not going to. But be Patrice O'Neill will still make a like woman he, laugh. He makes the person that who fucking detest him end up ag- seeing exactly what he's trying to say yeah. by being funny. And like they'll laugh at him. <laughs> you crazy man. Like why are you laughing though? I'm right though. That's why you laughing because you get it. I see what you mean. That's why like his fucking the extended cut of uh, his elephant in the room special is just. Goaded, goaded. That's the only thing. I'm gonna go watch the Patrice O'Neill, man. I'm gonna go watch that. Uh, spe- and you go listen to a lot of his uh stuff on Opie and Anthony. That's just a gold mine of stuff. And you know, obviously, yeah. it can't be said enough. Patrice O'Neill in the past 10 years of podcasting, like if he was in that scene, I have no doubt he would either be like a top three podcaster or like canceled to the point that like like some blue-haired <laughs> crazy woman would have tried to kill him. Like it's literally <laughs> like he's that good yeah. in my opinion. Like yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go check out some of this. Stuff. I've only seen a little bit of it, but I am familiar with that one thing you were telling me about. A man has to love a woman. A woman. No, oh, a man uh, only has to like a woman. A woman has to love a man. Yeah. Um. So. It, I, and it's another thing I want to say about comedy now is that there's like these real talking, like I say, people who were adjacent to Priest and like Bill Burr is adjacent to him. Like they work together, they're around the same people. If <laughs> it's odd to use this phrase because it work, it's more about Twitch streamers, but you could even say to some extent, Bill Burr is a Patrice O'Neill orbiter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a little extreme. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, it feels to me like a lot of people who are supposed to inherit his like his thought it feels like it's kind of it's kind of just gone yeah Anthony, they're not carrying on a legacy anthony cumia is maybe just, it's you bro maybe you gotta step on stage uh i guess but I'm, there's still gonna be a like a 10-year gap between <laughs> me and him so i'm just i'm just remarking upon it because it's odd to people who are like friends with him and people who are trying to like be that relate that real relationship like cut through the miasma of it all. Mm-hmm. Like people who bring up other people, like you bring up Kevin Samuels, but he has things that he's lacking communication. Well, I'm not bring him up. Only bring him up because I feel like uh, I've seen a little bit of that idea. Yeah. Not because I feel like he is particularly efficient in his delivery of it. And some people brought up oh, T.K. Kirkland. Kirkland don't know who that is. He's a comedian, but I feel like at his soul, he's mean spirited. Yeah, he he makes a lot of relationship. He wrote like a couple of relationship books. He makes like relationship yeah, based. Kind of like Chris Rock. Like Chris Rock does have a lot of really good, like uh, commentary on the black plight. But at his spirit, I feel like Chris Rock is kind of racist. To tell, does not like black people. Probably, 
but I haven't really delved deep into Chris Rock, so I never. I mean, so for me, I mean, maybe I'm being reductive, but one of his most popular bits, you know, there's black people and then there's N words. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty uh, representative mm-hmm. of the type the type of behavior. I'm, yeah, if that was his entire ideology, then yeah, fuck him. But I don't. I just don't know if that to be true. Me neither. Me neither. So fair. So, so fair. um, what what am I call it? I was gonna list just a bunch of other people who's supposed to be like inheritors of that, but it's just it's just oddly not there. Like we're all looking at the same guy, but we're all seeing a different piece of art. It's mm-hmm. very weird. Yeah. Because like this guy is speaking like out of all the comedians, isn't this guy like the realest one? And people don't like isn't this the guy he's supposed to get? But no, we're just gonna get a bunch of Louis C.K. ripoffs, a bunch of Bill, Bill Burr wannabes. A bunch of people who just like, just nothing. People who want to be Richard Pryor and fucking uh, Ronnie Dangerfield, but they have nothing to say. Those people had something to say at least. Mm-hmm. Norm Macdonald had like a talent on such a level that he didn't have to necessarily have a point to what he was saying. Yeah, he was hilarious. He was just hilarious. It's like I feel like Patrice O'Neill is the model for a modern comedian, in my opinion, because he's just going up there and just saying stuff and like, yeah, I guess I, I'm, I'm a funny guy as well, so I'm going to deliver this in a joking way so you understand it. Like, he's a great communicator, and it's like, if you're going into comedy and you're not a great communicator, if you are struggling to talk to your fucking friends, what the fuck are you doing on stage? I'm tired of it. <laughs> There's so many of these comedians who are just... They just oh. man, I feel like you gotta hit an open mic. I am this January. I am after I get some money, so I get Ubers to open mics because the bus don't run that late. <sighs> but yeah, I'm definitely hit the open mics up. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to say on that. Maybe we could hit on a different part. When we get to your other scene, but we're gonna talk about uh, they fell. You want to talk about that? Well, go ahead. I guess you give it a run on that one. So you take you take the lead for a second act. This is where like I started to get a. Uh, I started to get a little high off sleep deprivation because mm-hmm. it was past my bedtime. It was like 8.30. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the way I read this scene, like I couldn't really hear that well. Not not just because they weren't projecting, uh, projecting, although that might have been a problem, but also because I was a little tired. Mm-hmm. But all I re- recognize is that for like the first like little 80% of the scene is that these two, this is a scene obviously written for men. Cause they're talking about, oh, this Saturday we're gonna get the fuckings, uh, the skis and the beers and the Budweisers, and we're gonna just gonna fuck around and watch the game or some shit. Mm-hmm. It's very, it was guy talk, um, yeah. and I, 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 that was something about it. But I, apparently, one girl was talking about how she didn't like the way his boyfriend, her boyfriend, was talking to her, calling her stinky or whatever. Didn't like her smell, yeah. and the, the other girl was like uh, saying, hey, don't feel bad about it. Or something, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I'm gonna skip to the end where like, apparently they made plans towards the middle and the beginning, but it seemed like the other girl seemed wanted to cancel her because she realized that, oh, am I like really like in lesbian love with this woman or something? Maybe I'm reading this mm-hmm. wrong. Okay, okay, and then so they end up canceling the plans, and she, the the girl, the the girl was supposed to be smelly, was saying, I guess was trying to get the plans back on, and then uh, I guess the scene just ends with them locking eyes supposed to be them locking eyes and falling in love with each other so they literally fall mm-hmm. repeatedly every time they see each other yeah and they fall and you know first time big laugh second time they fall a little tiny laugh third time a little less laugh fourth time oh big laugh again counter rules of four big we get a bigger <laughs> laugh this time. we get we get a we get a fifth one tiny laugh sixth one we're getting close to no laugh now. Seven one zero laugh, 
Eight one, you get you get maybe you get some people going what? <laughs> nine nine one, we're getting a one or two people laughing again. Tenth one, okay, people are laughing a little bit more now. Eleventh one, they're we're still up. fucking doing this. They're still falling. Eleventh fall, they're laughing at the same like little bit. Twelfth, laughing a little bit more, and like and the people are wondering what is this going to fucking end? Thirteen <laughs> one, they finally fall down permanently, and people laugh and they clap because goddamn the scene is over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was what might have been missed there? You are correct. This scene was originally been written for men. Originally, it was two guys, Chad and Randy, two country boys. That's what it says in the script. And after the the show went off Broadway in New York, they decided to add a female version of it that ran in rep. So it's not that it's supposed to be for men. It's just that it was originally oh, oh, there was originally there was a male version of the scene, and then they rewrote it with women. But I don't think they made enough adjustments to accommodate that fact, in my opinion as well. I agree with you. But um, basically, they're both sharing their their bad date experience. The smelly chick, she went on a, a date and the guy told her that he didn't like the way she smelled. She might not even be smelling. She just had like a cologne that he didn't like. That's exactly what that is. See, you don't. I don't know if you know that deliberately, but that's a line in the in the, in the from the show. It's actually that he's like, she's like, yeah, something about women and the lengths we go to. He's like, what, like perfume? Cause like the other girls like telling her like, no, that's not, that's crazy. You don't even wear that much perfume. This, that, and other, like backing her up, like really supporting her. And then the other chicks, like, uh, they're like trying to one up each other with how bad their stories are. So she's like, well, mine's face broke. We oh yeah, to, yeah. We yeah. went together dancing, you know, they teach how to dance together. And we were doing that thing where you throw the chick over, but he couldn't quite get it. Cause you know, he's small. And like, that's like a little joke. Oh man, it's small. That's hilarious. Not funny, but uh, <laughs> not actually funny. But in the original version of it, um, the guy throws the chick in the air and it breaks her face, so it's much funnier. But they try to play it into this like misandrous take of like um, an emasculated man dancing with a lesbian woman, and that makes it much less funny to me, unintentionally. But anyways, she's talking about how um, they were dancing together and he couldn't get the move because he's so small or whatever. So she's like, "Well, we'll just switch. I'll show him how to do it because it's so easy." And then she goes to do it, and she's so strong. He's such a tiny little non-man that she throws him clean over her head, and he breaks his fucking face. And then she takes him. It's like that time Great Kylie killed a guy. But go on. That's what I was thinking of. The, That's like, a real thing. Yeah, he did like a like the like you flip the guy over you, mm-hmm. and the guy fell on his head and he died. Never knew that. I think I have heard that actually. But yeah, I was thinking about that. I I went out again and didn't hear anything, so I was thinking about that. Like damn. For like 30 seconds. <laughs> That's crazy, bro. But yeah, go ahead. But yeah, I, I think I do remember that. But anyways, so he broke his face, and then she's like, yeah, I drove him to the hospital. And he cried the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, ha, 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 little non-man. And like, I don't get it. You broke your face. That's like pretty serious. Like yeah. Your brain's like and right it's there. It's ironic because I guarantee you, if it was a guy saying that, it would have been way funnier. Because in the guy version of it, he goes, he goes, yeah, bro, I had to drive her home. 38 miles and then other guys guys like man he's like yeah she cried the whole way and the other guy goes hate that and it's just fucking hilarious because it's like two stupid men being dumb yeah but like no woman would ever actually say something like that so it just doesn't work but anyways yeah you know i have a i have an interjection go ahead i was more of a question i guess you know how like the dumb blonde archetype like is that actually like a archetype that regular people like i feel like it's the same as like like a rich guy wanting to be like 
finance like wanting to be sexually dominated because they have so much power in their regular life like that's not that's not a populist sort of regular guy sort of thing for like mm-hmm. to want like a dumb woman a dumb guy is hilarious yeah but like a dumb woman it's like damn but go ahead yeah i agree with that but um so he they he drives she drives home this he's like uh basically the other chick, she's being nice. He's like, yeah, I guess you do win. You're the baddest date girl of all time. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have that whole little exchange. And then they go on. Like you said, they were trying to set up a... The, re- the reason that, that there was a shift in the scene, and you, you might have missed it, is that um, it's a smelly chick. She goes, uh, her name's Shelly. Whoa. Shelly the smelly. Let's see. Yeah, Shelly. Yeah, so her she, name's Shelly. So Shelly goes... Um, Shelly goes, you know, after all that happened, like, it, it gets to, like, a, a kind of sad moment. She's like, you know, after all that happened with the guy telling me I smell bad and all, I, I started feeling really bad. But then I came out of feeling bad because I was thinking about how not much makes sense in this world, except you. You do make sense to me. You know, you make me feel good. And then uh, she says this, and it just kind of, like, sits in the air for a little bit. Then she's like, yeah, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like when your, your, your best bro just told you, like, yeah, I, I really you you make my life feel complete, man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's just, just basically what the energy of it is, and that's why the, the, the energy of the scene shifts. And then she's like, um, "There's like uh, this thing where she's like, you're you're my best friend. We're friends, best friends. And there's a line where you, there's a line where you're friends you can't cross, and you crossed it because it's a I think the way it's supposed to do as intended by the playwright. I don't know if that's the line. I it think it's, I think no, no. I don't think that's the line where you cross it where you can't cross. Oh, okay, okay. The event horizon of she another does, well, man's after she ass. Says, she has. She does literally say, "I fall in love with you." Because mm-hmm. ba- the first thing that happens is, uh, Shelly falls when she looks Dina and I. Because she falls in love yes, with her. Yes. Right. And then after that, she's like helping her. She's like, "Come on, what are you doing? Why do you?" What's, she's like, "You okay or whatever." And like for in that moment, there's like a moment where she's like, she was pretending to be standoffish about it, but when she sees her in trouble, it's supposed to be like a, a revelation for the audience that like she's like so concerned about her being hurt. And really showing how much he does care about Shelly or whatever else. But then, um, hold on, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. But then she goes, she goes on to um to be like, I, I can't help it. I fall in love with you here, Dina. And she's like, you can't say that. When you say a thing like that, it's just in the air. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't take it back once you say that that you love me. We're friends. You know what I'm saying? And she's like, I, you are the person that makes me feel like I'm not going to end up being that crazy cat lady. But I feel like I am because right now my best friend doesn't make any sense because my best friend loves me. And she's not supposed to love me. She's my best friend. You see I me? Mean? That's how mm-hmm. they play it. And then um, like she has this whole monologue and it sounds like she's really about to just rip her one. And that's going to be the end of the scene. And then as she's saying it, she looks her in the eye and then they both fall down because they fall in love with each other. You see what I mean? And that's why it's supposed to be an ultra cathartic moment. It's because instead of her like rejecting her, she actually falls in love with her as well and realizes in that moment how much she appreciates her. Yeah. And the fall, the pacing on the falls and everything, it's, it's limited by the the actors. Yeah, they got, they got to do like a real Luigi, like quick get up, fall again. Yeah. You know, Sue or Smash Brothers, when he would win, he would yeah. fall three times really quickly. Yeah. The way I, the way I would do it, it would be like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, and then you got to like play different angles. Yeah. Like you, 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 play, you could do the, Doom, doom, get up! Ugh. Like I am not gonna lie, I could have done a great job with that, but unlucky. Yeah, he did like the 
just the crumple, like you just got your neck broken, crumple. Yeah, yeah, you, fall you, 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 do, you could do the fall onto your knees, like straight onto the knees. Y'all are both looking at each other, then it's straight down onto the chest. You get up, fall back, just, just spin around, fall. <laughs> you can do the fucking, the fucking, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the, there's so many levels you can play with that. The jump and fall right on your back thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just look accomplished. You can literally do this, the stone cold, the stone cold fall straight backwards, but you catch yourself with your elbow without anybody. Oh noticing. yeah, you look at. Look I at did that in, in a, a stone cold uh, stunner compilation. Look at the guys who take it and just fall like that. Yeah, they fall straight onto their back, dude. Like, they, there's so many ways they could have done that. And, like our director definitely could have helped them. I, mean, more I don't know if you want to fall like that on a on a on that floor. If you do it correctly, it doesn't hurt. I when I was in Alice in Wonderland, I had a faint where I did that. I did it forward too. And it didn't hurt if you do it right. Let's see here. What's the next suit? We call it's called Where It Went. Mm-hmm. Marcy and Phil. Oh, this is yours again. Oh, this guy remember my name. That's funny. <laughs> um, you you describe the scene once again. All right. So basically, um, it's, it's a married couple, Phil and Marcy. They have two kids. They've been married for years, and they're out at Echo Pond, which is like a fictional place. But um, it's, they're going ice skating together to, you know, enjoy some time. They finally got some time away from the kids. But Phil actually ended up showing up late to the outing because he was busy pulling a double at work. And so he shows up and he's like, yeah, I feel like you're mad at me because I'm late. She's like, I'm not mad. All I want you to do is pay attention. And that's like her mantra throughout the scene. She keeps telling, I want, I just wish you pay attention, Phil. I wish you pay attention. He keeps telling her, it still seems like you're mad. It feels like you're mad. So they have that. They keep having that debate. And then she, it's quickly revealed at the beginning of the scene. She's like missing her shoe as well. So that's adding extra frustration and strain. So it's supposed to be like a really nice moment for them. Mm-hmm. So he's like looking around for their shoe. She's like asking him, like, are you hiding my shoe right now? Is this supposed to be funny? It's not funny. It's cold out here. He's like, well, you want to want to go skating. You know, kind of throwing it back in her face. And, like, it's just this kind of, like, this, like, icky married, married couple having a bad, very honest, realistic, angered, angry situation thing mm-hmm. going on on stage. And then um, they, they have moments where they try and make it where she's like, I- I'm not mad. I-, I was disappointed, but now I'm done. And he's like, Mars, it's okay, or whatever. And then she's like, you know, I had fun skating. I thought it would be fun. Get us away from the kids. Get us back to how we used to be. We went skating the first time you kissed me, you know. And that's why she brought him back to that place because it was her idea to go there. And so the scene progresses. He he goes looking for the skates, doesn't find them in the car, comes back on stage, and she's upset. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to go look in the car. He's like, it's not in the car. So then while she's off looking in his car, he decides to, you know, just start looking around because she just saw a shooting star while he wasn't looking. And uh, she saw it without him, basically. And that kind of, like, was another example of him not paying attention. And that was, like, something else for her to rub in his face. And so when she's gone, he's like, well, I'm going to just wish, wish on a regular star. And then she comes back on stage and he's like, invites her to wish on it with him. They're looking at it and she's like, yikes, dude, that's that's not a star. That's a planet. <laughs> did you notice that you were looking right at me this whole time? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I could Because you got to remember the lights. In yeah, front of I, I was thinking like it would have to be pitch black to you. Uh-huh. Or, did you or did you think that I literally was like just looking dead at you? You're looking dead at me. <laughs> You were, but because our director told us where to put the star in the audience, mm-hmm. and you, I guess you were just the lucky guy that happened to be sitting in the seat. I was a star that night, right where the star is. It was mm-hmm. by an exit sign or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why I'm looking there, and I even like point at it specifically because it's something that everybody in the audience can imagine. That's where it is. That's mm-hmm. why we have a specific place to put it. But no, I did not realize you were sitting right where I was looking. 
And so basically, he asked her to look. He's like trying to be nice and trying to have a sentimental moment with her because he just missed the shooting star. So he's like, well, you know, maybe me and my wife, we wish on a regular star. And, you know, then and then a really telling line for me in the scene, she comes back on and she's like, well, it's a planet. He's like, well, how do you know that's a planet? She's like, because it's, it's on the news. They've been, sell- they've been saying all week that Saturn is going to be the brightest object in the sky this month. And your wish is never going to come true if you're wishing on the planet. And when she says that, me in character, I think to myself, maybe you're right. Maybe I am wishing on the planet. That's a, that's a good analogy here for what's going on in my life. You know, he's like, well, he walks off. She goes, you got to pay attention. And that's like the sixth, seventh, maybe eighth time she says that in the span of like three minutes. So he's like, his his stupid man instinct is kind of kicking in. He's like, what do you mean by that? I got to pay attention. And then she's like, happy anniversary. He's like, ooh. <laughs> he's like, I'm, he doesn't say I'm sorry. He goes, I, I knew you were mad. I mean, Mars, I'm sorry, but I got to work. I got to take a double when Shelly needs me at the mill. She's helping me, us out, offering me the overtime, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know. He's like, no, you don't know. Me working is for the kids and for us. And it's a lot. And it messes me up. And, you know, he, he goes on to explain all of that. And she goes, I understand you got to work. I'm not upset about that. What I don't understand is why I'm lonely. I'm lonely, Phil. I got a husband and a couple of great kids, and I'm lonely. And she goes on, you know, you just, you don't pay attention anymore. And he, he basically has been begging her to stop saying that this whole scene. So when she tells him one more time, cause like, it looks like they're about to connect. She's about to tell him how she really feels, but instead she takes the, the low road and is like, um, you don't pay attention. Like it's more picking at him in that moment for it. And then even that he tries to ignore and she goes, you missed your son's first varsity hockey game. He's like, hockey equipment costs money. You know what I mean? And at this point, it's just all going to a head and it's like this explosive moment where um she goes she goes it just makes me so mad i don't know what to do anymore he goes you lie you lie so bad (laughs) you're mad at me but you don't tell me even when i ask you over and over and she's like no because you wouldn't pay attention even if i did tell he goes no 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 because you don't know how to tell me what you feel like about me so i never know where i am where i stand maybe that's why i go away so i can know where i am for a second and it's lonely there too where i go and you sent me there you went away a long time before I did, and now all you do is lie. I don't lie. Yes, you do. You say you had fun, but you didn't. You say you're not mad, but you're mad. You didn't have fun tonight, did you? He says, stay quietly for a second. She contemplates. No, I didn't have fun. I don't have fun with you anymore, Phil. Just, just like mm-hmm. they're, they're literally just like ripping each other to pieces at this point. I was like, and then you know they separate. And there's this, this like clear gap of distance between them, just a chasm between their relationship. And she's like, well, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? And then the playwright reminds you that this is a stupid fucking play. It's almost bad. Like, you thought it was, it was just some amazing, emotional, heart-wrenching scene. And then a fucking shoe drops from the, <laughs> from the sky. And it's her shoe that she's been looking for this whole time. Just falls from the sky right between the two of them. Honestly, this entire scene, I just couldn't. Like care about it on an emotional level because I was getting really tired. Mm-hmm. I, I I picked that up from you too because the first one you were um seemed like I'm just glad you were able to at least fully enjoy the first one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then uh you know I feel like that was the one that kind of like sealed it for you. And then there was the intermission right after that, so it's like you're probably thinking to yourself, "Well, damn, I've already seen the best one." So I ain't mad at you for that, Captain. But yeah, you were talking about how that scene is like uh, some sort of uh, a Marxist-Leninist contr- critique of the family, or 
how a family struggles to be formed under capitalism or some yeah. other change like that. Go ahead, go ahead and fill us in. Well, basically, Phil, Phil's whole mission and, and worth in the relationship is to provide for his family through money. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing that he gives to them. And his separateness from his family is the only way that he can provide for them. So either his family has to starve or his family has to not have a father. So no matter what he does, like he's a hardworking man and he's a complete failure as a husband and a father as a result. Because it's like it, it's a it's a catch 22. You know what I mean? And it, it's the way that things are set up for people who aren't in a privileged position in, in a capitalist society. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like she wants something from him that he could never give her because that's not what's allowed in the current under the current circumstances. You know what yeah. I mean? Man is a. Mm-hmm. And not, neither of them are really at fault because she's not wrong. Like he missed the hockey game, he missed his daughter's birthday, he forgot the anniversary and all of that. But the reason all of that goes down is not because of him; it's because of what he has to do in order to make them have a life. You know what I mean? It, it costs. All of it costs, basically. Yeah, fucking stink. I I wonder how much it, uh, it costs to live up in Maine. I imagine it's pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So that uh that fifteen dollar hour minimum wage is probably not going that far. No, not at all. Um. So I didn't. I cared even even less about these about the story of hope and seeing the thing. The only thing about the last scene is like, man, they're about to fuck on stage. Like, <laughs> maybe that was a little unrealistic of an expectation, but I felt kind of disappointed by that. <laughs> You didn't know how far it was gonna go, huh? Yeah, it's like, come on, almost, almost PG thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> come on, let's do it. Almost PG thirteen. You know, the seventh scene, I was honestly, it's, the word's not disappointed. The actress in that scene, I was like quite uh, familiar with her, and it was a thing where she just did not, she did, either she was incapable or unwilling. To be emotionally vulnerable enough to like take the character over the hump for that scene, the seventh one. I don't even. I don't even. I know the character's called Hope and Man. Which come on. (laughs) (laughs) The scene you don't you remember anything about the scene? Not really. She shows up at his door, and Mm -hmm. she's hoping. Basically, okay. Oh, that's when she meets the guy online trying to meet her in real life. No. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll give you the ultra abbreviated version of this scene because this is one you probably hardly remember and it's very short. It's not that important. Basically, the guy asked her to marry him and she went away. Like she left down, was not, didn't have an answer for him, was like just growing up or whatever and she was still trying to figure out her place so she didn't do it and she felt bad about it and she still loved him, still missed him. So she goes back to town on some like rom-com ending stuff like he's gonna still be there I'm gonna knock on his door we're gonna get back together and it's not him at the door from what she realizes and it's just some some random guy because he was like some like super small basketball center type guy and this guy at the door he's just like some regular oh uh, yes 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 yeah, yeah and so she basically is like oh I'm sorry I thought he would still be here he said he'd be here after his family left this that and the other yeah and she's like basically just just uh reminiscing to this random man about what she did wrong and where she's been at, how she would have done things differently, how you got to hold on tight to people because if you don't, then you might wind up making the wrong choices about what your life should be if you don't have them around to help you. 
And then eventually she's walking away and, she, and he's like, goodbye, Hope. And she's like, how did you know my name? And she's like, Danny? Because it's actually him, you know? And then, you know, there's that moment where they, like, he, she realizes that it is him. And she's probably hoping for, like, a moment that they'll still be able to be together because, you know, she did love him. And she was like, yes was, gonna, was the answer that she would have given him in hindsight. And then his wife from inside the house is like, honey, come on back inside. And then, you know, he's like, bye, Hope. And he just walks away to go back with his wife. And she just has to kind of leave with her nice pink suitcase and her high heels and everything and be like, wow, yes, I would have married you. And then she leaves. This whole this whole thing could have been settled, you know, if they listen to the song Living on the Prayer by Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Bon Jovi would be pretty big up in Maine still. Yeah, bro, I'd imagine too. We got to hold on to what we've got. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We got each other, and that's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot. Hey, okay. Yeah. I, I was waiting for the chorus because I don't know the words, bro. Oh. Whoa, live it on a prayer. Take my hand, we'll make it. I swear. Whoa, live it on a prayer. Something like that. That was actually pretty good. Uh, man, let's start our own glam metal band. I feel like we could do like a barbershop duet. I don't know. I think the time... It's not 2008 anymore. We can't be epic. We can't be epic like that. <laughs> that seemed like one of those ideas that people have on forums. It's like, yeah, what about if we had like a barbershop quartet or we are like, we're like we like a, a hip-hop uh, band that we're pirates is our gimmick. Wow. But yeah. She, uh... The pirate rap group actually made it to, I think, America's Got Talent. So maybe... We, I, yeah, but it's not 2008 anymore. We can't meme our way to TV. Unlucky. Uh, let's talk about the last scene. Last scene, scene thing. Guy paints a chick a painting. It's a pointless painting, so you can only see what it is from a certain angle. At the top of the Isn't scene... Isn't that every painting, though? No. Like, if you see it from the back, you can't tell what it is. You know what, Mark? Eat a dick. I win! <laughs> but what I mean is, even if you look at it straight on, you can't tell what it is. Sure. So... She, he lays the painting down on, on... She puts the painting down upside down at the top of the scene to really set the idea. I feel like that's kind of one of the funniest moments of the scene. She puts it down upside down, and he's like, sees what she did, walks over and, like, flips it over. And then, like, everybody starts laughing or whatever. It didn't. So she's like, what are you doing? They've Because they've been friends for a long time, and, like, he's been crushing on her. But um, he has not shared that because, you know, she's, like, this tough guy type girl or whatever. And he's somewhat intimidated by her... Her, her feminine slash masculine energy. You know what I mean? The, the androgyny is quite intimidating in this one. And so, um, but like, it's like been talked about around the town and everything. Like people have been wanting them to get together for a while. And basically, he's like out here looking at the painting. It's gonna it's kind of his way to try and show her how he appreciates her. And she's looking at it, but she's not able to see it. So he's like, okay, well, can I give you a hint then? And he kisses her. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't kiss me. I don't know you like that, you know, whatever. And like that, they have their beef. She runs to her house, slams the door on him. He's standing out there in the fucking cold, the blistering cold with the snow pouring down on him. He's like, hey, Rhonda, you know, I like you a lot. And I, I want us to be together. And like, you know, just like, man starts pouring his heart out on the porch. And she comes back out. She's like, what do you mean by all of that? Why are you saying that shit? And he's like, because it's, it's true, you know. 
you know, I really like you. And I thought you'd like me too. And she's like, well, I do like you. He's like, what? So I can kiss you then? And she's like, no, because I never kissed anybody before. And then uh, they call, he's like, well, why don't we just try together, yada, yada. I won't be mean to you or anything like that. He's like very gentle with her and it's a nice, sweet moment. And and then they start kissing and she's like, she's like, wow, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. I just wish you, I, I wish I knew what come after this though. And then Dave, you know, he's a stupid little horny teenage man or whatever. And he's like, I know what comes next. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then they start pulling off all of their clothes because they have on like 30 fucking layers of winter clothes. Mm-hmm. And they just start like r- r- ripping them off one by one on stage, pulling them off each other and all, all kind of foolishness and shit like that. And then it's they, like they set up a joke, but the punchline would be Dantes. Mm-hmm. What would say? What would the punchline be? You get jokes. Some people don't in, get jokes, in, but you insertion. get Insertion. <laughs> Insertion, insertion upstage. <laughs> See, okay, you're, you're adding to it. See, that's a, that's S tier, that's S tier in the joke. I just I was just looking for the C tier version of the joke, which is least get in the the underwear at least, but they still were in. They're still in full body clothes. They're in their long long yeah. johns. It's cold, bro. They couldn't. They would be in their underwear. You gotta keep. You can't uh, have a continuity mm-hmm. error you just gotta, for the sake gotta, of a joke, bro. Come on. It's surreal. We got to punch up these bits. We got to punch <laughs> <That up means>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, bro. They literally, they walk to center stage. All the lights go down. And there's one spotlight. And in front. <laughs> 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 it's one of the fucking pointed lights, bro. There's a guy. His job is to hold that light and aim it right at them, bro. <laughs> and then right there in the center stage is insertion. Not even like, n- <laughs> not not intervaginal insertion like she's sucking them off like a pro all of a sudden but hey come on <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying this i'm a i'm an artist and i'm a vessel <laughs> of god's peculiar light to put on stage god's so the, peculiar this is not, <laughs> yeah, i've never heard that this is not me saying this this is god saying this i'm just i'm yeah. just a vessel yeah but that's supposed to be the happy ending oh and then pete and Jeanette from the prologue we did forget to mention this oh yeah they come back at the, at the intermission. Mm-hmm. So in the interlog, because Mark did not explain this well. I'm sorry. In the interlog, Pete is explaining a stupid metaphor about how if you're right next to somebody, that's the furthest you could be away from them. Because if you track your distance opposite around the earth, then it's the maximum distance is when you're right next to something. You get what I mean? Are you understanding the analogy? Imagine a sphere, like imagine the equator right next to it. If you go all the way around the equator, that's maximum earth distance. You get me? Yeah. And so that's why he says that they're not close as she thinks. And then when she starts to walk away from him, he's like, you're getting closer and closer and closer. You remember that? And yeah. closer. And then she leaves and it's like super cringe. Everyone's like, why the fuck did he do that? This guy's weird as hell. Yeah. <laughs> she walks off stage. He walks off stage. Then in the in the, mo- the interlogue, I don't know if you noticed this, he's sitting on the bench by himself during the interlogue, the intermission. Yeah. Like looking for her, wondering where she went. And then in the epilogue, she comes back from the opposite side of the stage, you yeah. see. Because she walked all the way around the world to go see him. And that's the end. Of, that's the, the proper ending of this, this show. I mean, this show. The, yeah, the show. What counts as around the world? Like going like straight east to west or going like south? Because to me, around the world would be like the full circumference of the earth. The full circumference of the earth would be from any point. You can, you can get 
The full circle. No, because the short, like the farther you up, is shorter. If you just go, if you just swirl east to west, if you're that high. No, no, no. If she's like this, then it's like this. That's what I'm saying. Like you have to. There's a. Yeah, so she went to the South Pole. She did whatever she had to do. That's the point. That's the. Matter. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that, Dantes. Mark, if they're not gonna respect my intelligence, I'm not gonna remember to tell it back <laughs> on my podcast. That's the way I feel. Mark, listen to me. When she walks out of the door. It, it, it costs a lot of money for Delgado Theater, but we actually get her on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, go so, ahead. Like, just a little behind the scenes for you, bro. We actually have a, a, a fighter jet pilot waiting outside. Oh, right? shit, F-35, all right. So she, when she gets out of the and it's really hard to pull this off in the hour and a half we have for the show. Yeah. So she's in the prologue, and she has to fly all the way around the earth before the epilogue. It was tough for her, but she got it done. You know, she's an amazing actor. I'm not questioning logistics. I'm questioning the... They travel the circumference of the earth, all right? Okay. I'll take your, I'll take your word for it, because honestly, I couldn't you go to skeptical. sleep. skeptical. I, I took me an extra hour and a half to go to sleep that night, because I was just thinking, like, did, did they go, like, around just the, the top part of the earth? Or oh, yeah. Like, this was just, like, this little little silly that's not... like, it's not nothing. What is nah, that? They like, definitely passed the center. What is okay? that, 20,000 miles? That's nothing. Come on. They passed the center, all right? So yeah, that was a little funny joke with that though. Um, I remember they were talking about that scene one time at rehearsal, and our director he's like trying to, he's asking them leading questions that directors ask actors who are not quite familiar with the subtext of their scene. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cringe to see when you know the subtext of their scene, even though you're not in it, and you're just like, damn, this is rough. And he's like, uh, he's asking her, he's like, so Ashley, how far did she go? And uh, so she literally looks, she looks at where the bench is and she looks to the other thing. She's like, yeah, that's pretty far. And everyone just like bust out laughing because she's like, <laughs> she went around the world. She did not go from fucking stage left to stage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, she's like, yeah, it is kind of far. I got to like walk out in the hallway and go like <laughs> back, around, back around past the concessions then. She's like, yeah, it's kind of far. Like, you don't get it. You just don't get it. <laughs> Oh, man, so to recap that play, I think it's a solid. I think it's a solid, pretty good out of ten. So pretty good out of ten. Seven point two five out of ten. I'm see. What would you rate my scene? You were too asleep for one of them, but what would you rate the first scene? Out of 10? Um, the first scene, I would say, I get that seven point seven five out of ten. It was a very good scene. Nice. Very well done. Nice. Um, I overall, I think uh, this play, me going on to this play, ruined my sleep schedule. Till right now, and we'll continue to ruin my sleep schedule probably for another week. And you know I'm what? I'm gonna have to demand that you take some responsibility for your sleep schedule. No, how about no? <laughs> <laughs> my play ruined your sleep schedule. I'm more of a. I'm hearing a lot of deflection there. Some people are personal responsibility conservatives. I'm more of a everybody but me responsibility oh. conservative. How about that? So you're more of a fuck up, basically. I'm more of a piece of shit who can't get a job type. Yeah, me too, bro. I feel that. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Fuck all that and all all the scenes and all other people. What can What can I do to get myself on Broadway tomorrow? What do I need? To, what changes do I need to make? What What is What is my next mission? My next conquest? I think you have a better chance at writing a like a play that makes it to Broadway than you making it yourself. Damn, that's tough, bro. I mean, it's not, it's not anything about you. It just seems rough. It seems like oh. there's a lot of people out here trying to be actors. Yeah. 
I'm just not good enough, bro. I don't know if you're good enough. You're probably good enough. I don't know. I, every play I've seen, either on the internet or in person, it just seemed like, I don't know, if, if you, if you, it's a play. Come on. It's a play. <laughs> I, I watch, I remember watching Hamilton in high school, and it's like, I guess most of the people in this theater program could probably do this pretty fine, so, you know? Don't you feel like everyone in Greece in high school could have probably done Hamilton, like, decently? And Hamilton's a better, a way better script than Greece. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like Shelby, for instance, definitely get a song well enough to be in Hamilton. Yeah. So I can't sing that well, but you know, because I don't know if you, I don't know if you're remembering that part of Hamilton. Well, of course I remember that. What makes you think that we could have done that? I think I was I was not a good singer, Mark. I don't know if you remember. Hmm. You would you would have tried. The, the way the way you used your mind to solve a Rubik's cube, you would have solved singing for your for like learn how to sing for yourself. I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to do. I would like. So we're gonna practice our acting skills right now. I love that. So we're gonna do a little little improv, and I'm gonna lead the way, and we're just gonna see where you take it. I'm, I'm gonna lead the way though. I was in the improv troupe at ULO, so <clears throat> I'm about to be bad at this. So are, are you ready? Everyone ready? It's improv. Yes, improv. That's my only thing. That's my only thing I have that I know. I don't know anything else besides we're about the improv. Okay, the setting we're in wet. We're in the countryside in Western Germany. The year does not matter. <laughs> yeah. The year does not matter. So, <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker said Western Germany. Oh, I know what we're dealing with here. So let's let's go. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. I'm just a small town shoot staff officer. That's gonna need to take a look at your attic, sir. But before uh before I go in, I know I'm just barging in, I would like to get you know you because you don't look quite like the guy who used to own this place. Uh yeah, it used to be my father's. Used to be your what what'd your father go by? Um He didn't quite have a a given name. But uh, his master's dead now, so, you know. Hmm. Okay, well, I know this. I have a deed for one uh, man by the name Fievel, last name Gozvestovitz. Do you know somebody by the name of Mr. Gozvestovitz? Gozvestovitz. No, doesn't sound too familiar. I just... So how long you been in this house again, <laughs> sir? It seems good to... Stop. <laughs> Stop. This is so fucked. <laughs> this is so fucked already. <laughs> what? Look. Okay. First rule of comedy. Don't say no. <laughs> First rule of improv, you don't say no. When you hear me saying no, you gotta stop. <laughs> Cause I realized I'm like, oh my fuck. I just broke the <laughs> I just broke the only rule. <laughs> There's only one rule, bro, and I broke it. Alright. I didn't have enough context. I'm bad at this. No, that's fine. I should have gave you more context. No, no, you shouldn't have. That's how it actually works on stage in improv troupe, by the way. Uh-huh. So try again. What different scene? You have another one? Alright, that's perfect. This time I'm gonna lock in, I promise. Do I have this one? time I'll deliver, no no lie. We're we're gonna cut that first one. Well not we're we you're gonna cut that first one. I'm not one. cutting that. Oh Lord. We're keeping that in. So let's try I'm not, I don't have a scene ready, so don't I'm say so- anything, yeah. Literally. So what should I say then? Like nothing. I just start acting. Improv. Go. 
Uh, okay. So I welcome everyone to the 43rd Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. I am uh, one Mark Anthony Davis, and I am the foreign uh, commissar coming from the United States. And I'm just saying, you know, fuck this. I hate acting. Fuck this. <laughs> See, it's funny when I... Hard, harder, than it, harder than it seems, huh, bro? No, it's not harder. It's like I have to write while I'm doing this. It's like I could do it. You give, you say something, and then I play off you because this is unfair. All right. All right. Nice job out there, Slugger. Oh, thanks, Dad. Yeah, man. It, it was really inspiring to see that uh, you, you finally got your first home run. I mean, it took quite some time, but for a one-handed baseball batter, that's, that's really something. Can we go to Taco Bell now? <laughs> <laughs> see, you're funny, bro. You get it. All right, can we go to Taco Bell? All right, I, I I slipped out of the scene. But, no, that's, uh, that's fine. I slipped out of the scene because I was like, it's just a few lines or whatever. But you get the idea. It's not as hard as you think. It can be quite fun. Because all everything I try to do, I try to stack different things on top of each other when I write. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to do that uh, stacking three absurdities in the same one line. No, while you I, can. It's, it's hard to do on the fly. It's like yes, that's what was, yes. But you can do it. Yeah, supernova. I'm rolling over the novices, and I spit as cold as your porridges. Mm. Yeah. Okay, okay. Why I always gotta have cold porridge, bro? Nobody ever talk about my Goldilocks porridge. Everybody oh. want it cold or hot or something. Spitting as warm as your porridges. Mm-hmm. My spittings is boring as porridges. <laughs> I'm rolling through your storages. Getting your Nazi memorabilia, uh, whatever. Okay, let's talk about something else. Nazi memorabilia. You know that I will kill you. I'm a skinhead, and you know I like the color red. Also black. Also black. I wish the Eastern Union was intact. <laughs> the what? The Eastern Union, huh? What? Okay, I don't know what that is. The Eastern Union. You know, I felt. I like wish East Germany was intact. That's what you say. East Germany was the more solid, super solid. Man, we need we need the Eastern German policy of a job re, what's it called, reassignment. So like, if you if you really hate your job, you will immediately be reassigned assigned another job that you could do, instead of going unemployed for months at a time, never knowing next job's going to hire. That's a really good idea, actually. It's just every time I leave, I whenever I just like. You're I'm, right, Mark. We should be more like Nazi Germany. I'm glad you said. I that. didn't say Nazi Germany. I said East Germany. I saw the the DDR. The Dance Dance Revolution Republic, which was uh, ran by the Workers' Party of whatever the fuck. East German was solid. If you want to read more about East German, you can read that book over there. It's called Stasi State or Socialist Paradise. Man, you know I'm not interested in history or geography or life. All right. Yeah, man. So what else we got on the itinerary, bro? What else we got? We We definitely have some A bit of time left before I got to head out. I had a pick, scene. pick the the last segment, the last a, last five or so. I had a scene called the barrister barista, but I don't think you're ready for that high concept bit. What makes you think I'm not? I'm literally a professional actor. Come on. Okay, you know what a barrister is? Nope. Is it? It's like a judge. Okay. In like a in like a British colony. That's all I need to know. Come on, I'm, I, I'm literally a genius. You know that, and you won't. You you don't trust me. All right, let's go. All right. Also, I could easily just be the barista. There's no lines here. You don't have to. You don't have to scoot over to see the screen. There's no lines. What? You see, made it seem like there's lines here. 
You made it seem like there's lines there. No, I just read there was this called Barrister Barista. What about it? That's the name of the scene that we're doing. Okay. Okay. Sir, sir, I have a conflict. Uh, this guy, you know, I don't like acting. I really don't like acting. You don't like the feeling of not being able to. I can't. I can't control it. You can. You just have. To, you have to get good at it. No, I. I, I don't. I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like the kid that just uh, got struck out for the first time in his little league game. No, I. I Baseball's it. just no fun. I felt. That I'm like, yeah. Well, you don't hit the ball. <laughs> it was fun. I probably have a zero zero five. My 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 batting average is within the scientific margin of error. I still have something. <laughs> like it's a complete anomaly that you ever hit the ball once, and you still had a good old, a gay old time. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Man, everybody uh, has this impression about acting and what it's like. If you ain't never been up there with them lights on you, you don't know. But if you have lines though, if you have like, it's too it's too much. I think. For me, knowing lines, if you have lines, it's easier because you know what you're saying. You know what the point of what you're doing is. You just, oh, imp- the improv is what you mean. When you're act, when you're doing improv, you have to. It's like too. It's too much. It can never. It's just too much. What if you did like an SNL skit type thing? But they wrote the lines though. They write all the lines. I don't think they write. Yeah, all they the improv off the lines that they write. Which is completely different. Yeah, I think that's how you should do it then. Well, uh, I don't have any lines here, so maybe I'll write some next. That's time. what I mean. You, if you imp- if you had like a more of a skeleton for the idea, it would work better. You know the song "Hurt" by Johnny Cash? Nope. I don't know a lot of pop culture stuff. Okay. I'm pretty uninitiated. I wrote a person. parody song of it when I felt like I broke my back. You were hurt. I was like hurt. Johnny Cash. I was hurt. It's heard about being hurt in an emotional way by a woman. It wasn't by a woman. It was by a man? I think it was by being old as fuck. Oh. I broke my hip today. It's like what he was talking about. And then, like, he died, like, four months after that. He's pretty old. But I would, like, I'm going to go listen to that thing. I'm going to do my parody of Let's it. Let's hear it. Take us away, Mark. Uh, this is going to bring us home, so it better be amazing. Okay. I broke my back. Today, I try to suck my dick on the floor. Nuts not drained. The only thing I wield <laughs> a battered, weathered soul. Bad family growing old. They didn't. Provide a way I never had anything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away In the end Stop rereading And you could have it all my little pond of nuts <laughs> <laughs> and I <laughs> let you know I will make you hurt. <laughs>